Hello, this is Curtis Edwards, Vice President of Investor Relations at Hudson Investing. Are you ready to start building your multifamily portfolio? Kent and I are excited to announce our newest deal in Spartanburg, South Carolina. This 157-unit property offers a unique chance to acquire a B-class value-add property for just $120,000 per door. This is well below replacement costs. De-risking the deal even further is a favorable loan assumption with over six years remaining at 3.73% fixed. With 50 economic development projects underway and 70,000 jobs within a 20-minute drive, the South Carolina upstate region is primed for above-average job, population, and rent growth. Don't miss out on this exclusive deal. Find the link in the description notes to learn how you can invest. Yeah, well, I think one critical question, especially given what we've gone through the last 30 days here, is how many corrections have you been through? Welcome to Right Around Real Estate, the show about how to passively invest like a pro. On each episode, I interview real estate experts who give their top investing advice, strategies, and tools, and I break down their insights into practical steps to avoid the pitfalls and make better investments. I want to help you passively invest like a pro. This is Ritter on Real Estate, and I'm your host, Kent Ritter. So if you look at the you look at the spread between uh, U.S. multifamily cap rates, and let's just drill down even to market like Indianapolis. <clears throat> look at Indianapolis cap rates and U.S. Treasuries, and that you know that delta has been as wide as 450 basis points, and it's been as skinny as in our market, it's 100 basis points. Um, prior to the last correction, so pre-Great Recession, those spreads were razor thin. We saw cap rates compressing, interest rates were fairly flat, and that was about 100 basis points. In fact, I think we're 90 basis points of spread. So effectively, what we're saying is you're getting paid 90 basis points for uh, for operating a, you know, a risky mm-hmm. hard asset, in this case, mm-hmm. family, relative to a risk-free investment in U.S. Treasuries. That spread exploded to 450 basis points post-recession. And it's been generally compressing, but it's never reached 90 basis points. It's just we've, we've never as much cap rate compression as we've seen. That gap has, has remained around the 250 mark. Uh, looking back over the last 12 to 18 months, that's because interest rates have fallen so dramatically during mm-hmm, mm-hmm. much of the last uh, 18, 24 months. And so, with rates continuing to fall now, and cap rates mid crisis at least static, maybe some would say they've drifted up. That delta. That risk premium has just exploded again. So I think that we're going to see that you know, post-crisis get squashed back down again. Another reason why we might see uh, more cap rate compression post. Oh, that's that's really interesting, Steve. I, I love that perspective of, of the, the history of that uh, of that delta because I don't think that's something that that a lot of investors look at. I think it is something that investors should be understanding though, um, because. I mean, I think what I hear people say is, oh, you know, cap, rate, cap rates are so low, uh, no way am I going to pay a five cap in that market or no way would I pay a, a four cap in Indianapolis or, you know, you hear things like that all the time. But if you look at it in relation to where that's interest rates are, right, that's really, that's really the ratio you should be looking at and what you should be paying attention to and what that delta is. Because like you said, that's the risk premium and that's what really matters. That's the return, Right. And that, so I think that's a great takeaway for the investors on, on a metric to be looking at is, 
you know, the relationship between cap rates, um, cap rates and interest rates. And, and I think a lot of people look at that on a kind of right now basis, but I think the historical perspective is really important. Yeah. And then you compare it to global rates and we've got, we see, you know, zero interest rates in parts of Europe, negative interest rates, in parts mm-hmm. of the globe. And, uh, we're getting awful close to that here ourselves in the U.S. with some some recent Fed action, and so that's just going to create more uh, that creates more more delta and probably mm-hmm. more room for multifamily values to or yields to continue to compress down with values increasing. What are questions that investors should should be asking right now uh, to to understand understand if it truly is a good deal? You know, I think one critical question especially given what we've gone through the last 30 days here is how many corrections have you been through as mm-hmm. I mean, if it's somebody who's you know, opening the barn doors today, uh, they haven't seen a crisis. They don't know how to get through a crisis. I think this, what's happening here is a great lesson for a lot of operators who for the last 10 years have thought, wow, this is really easy work. Mm-hmm. Um, you grow rents. We're continuing to grow our, our assets under management, either through acquisition or through cap rate compression. And, um, and, and it's just, you know, and I don't mean to say it's easy work because this is the apartment business. It's not, it's not easy operating an apartment property. But uh, you know, the successes that have been achieved here over the last 10 years have been pretty remarkable in the absence of any sort of a, of a speed bump. And now here we've got a major speed bump. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of lessons are being learned right now. Uh, groups are... Uh, asking hard questions and uh, um, looking critically at operations, looking at inefficiencies, looking at ways of doing things better, more virtually where possible. So I think that's, I think that's an important thing to, uh, to understand. You know, what's, uh, how did you get through the crisis? Uh, if I'm going to give you X dollars to invest of my capital. I want to know how you're going to get through the next crisis. And, uh, and uh, you know, just understanding uh, rent, strategies is, is really critical. And we're, we've seen a big shift over the last several years to uh, revenue management systems that are in place sure. that look a lot like line pricing, hotel pricing, car rental pricing. And my analogy and my comparison to folks that are skeptical about that is always the same. It's to take the airline industry and imagine taking you know, on-demand daily pricing out of that equation. It would be complete inefficiency. And airlines would be losing... You know, just unbelievable amounts of sure. money didn't have those systems in place. Sure. Optimized pricing. And if that's true for any sector, why wouldn't it be true for many sectors? And I think it's certainly true for the apartment space where we see, uh, we see some efficiency added to uh, those that have employed revenue management strategies to react on a real-time basis to changing supply-demand features in the market. Yeah, that's really interesting. And um a quick question there, and I want to go back to the first thing you said. Like, do you do you have any insight into percentages or numbers that you actually see when folks implement that rent management software? Like, what what is a bump in revenue that folks can expect? Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a great question, but it's going to be a hard one to answer. I think that what we're okay. what, what we are seeing that we can quantify is that we're seeing occupancy moderate. Because those you know, those those systems, those algorithms are are built around you, know, 90, you can put it where you want to, but let's just say ninety four to ninety five percent occupancy. So if you're mm-hmm. moderating, or if you're fixing occupancy at a, at a level, then the only variable to play with is is rent growth. And so we see 
you know, some, we can see sometimes some, you know, some significant swings in, at least in daily pricing mm-hmm. to moderate occupancy at 94, 95%. There's value there. And I guess the third piece I'd put on is, is what kind of outreach is being done. And mm-hmm. it seems most missed uh, part of the leasing strategy. And what, what I mean is going out and meeting the employer neighbors, meeting the, you know, the administrators at the hospital across the street, Networking with the largest employers, the most relevant employers that should be sending their uh, new hires, their, their folks that are new to the metro, mm-hmm. to you, the property mm-hmm. right street. And that's the hard work. It's, it's all hard work in the leasing business, I, I, I realize. But that's the really hard work is getting outside the office and going and meeting folks that can help drive traffic. Yeah, I think that that's fantastic. So, so going beyond just the the one-on-one relationships with, with uh, potential residents, right? And going going to the sources uh, where they are, right? The major employers in the area, which is the main reason people live where they live, right? It, it, it's where where they work or where their kids go to school. So, I think there's a ton of logic there. So, that's a great question to ask about advanced leasing strategies. And the other thing I wanted to circle back around because it's it's a huge thing for me that one thing that you said, the first point was just going back to the sponsor and asking, you know, how many downturns have you been through? How have you weathered it? And asking, understanding what their plan was and and the processes that they put in place and how quickly they were able to change um, to react to to what's happened um, through the COVID crisis. I think that's hugely important. I think that um, as you said, there's a lot of people that have done really well over the past 10 years. And I think this is going to be kind of a proving ground. And I think that, you know, there, I've heard people say this many times, there's um, a, a bad sponsor, you know, can, can take down a good deal. Right. And so I think understanding from an investor standpoint, you know, to, for me, it starts with who's the sponsor. I think the sponsor is more important than the deal. And because if you're not working with somebody that has integrity and somebody that has, has the capital and the know-how and the processes to weather the storm. Um, you know, when, when the tide is rising all ships, everything's great, but, but that doesn't always happen. And it can turn on a dime as we saw with, with what's happening right now. So I think that's really insightful. I think that's a great point and something I always try to hit on, like start with the sponsor and, th- and then look at the deal once you find the sponsor that you, that you like and you trust. So appreciate yeah, that. Build people business. When you Absolutely. Blow Absolutely. Well, to, to wrap things up, I like to do a, a little section called keys to success. I've got a couple of questions I, I want to fire at you, just uh, quick answers. And um, so to start with, you know, what are you most proud of in your career? Hmm. I was proud of my career. Uh, well, I think, uh, I think making a conscious decision, oh, 10 or 15 years ago to really dominate the A grade segment of the market. Uh, you know, that was that was a deliberate effort. We made a hard push uh, to you know, to deliver a, a product that we sell, service that we sell that looks superior to the competition, and we were fortunate to be able to do that and uh, really control that side of the business. So that was you know that was that was an important transformation in uh, the the uh, the life of my career. I think that's my first answer that comes to mind. No, that's great. Who or what has most influenced you? Hmm. In the workplace, or is that a life question? You know, it it could be either. It could definitely be a life question because I mean, a, a lot of this, 
a lot of being a good investor, I think, comes down to mindset and perspective. So it could be broader. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm a person of faith. So uh, yeah, my faith is my foundation. And uh, I, I uh, just coming off of Easter weekend here, we think about uh, you know, the mm-hmm. life of Christ did and so that if, if you're going to ask me that question and i have an open answer then that's my yeah. there, there's answer right there um as far as in, in business you know i've got the thing about indianapolis is we have so many wonderful owners and developers that are that are not just successful but they are good people as well and you know think about guys like denny barrett who just recently and unexpectedly passed away and you know I would, I'm just going to go out on a limb and say that not every market has people like Denny Barrett that were straight shooters, that were honest, uh, who have been just profoundly successful and impactful in the business, um, and just good people. So uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a list of guys uh, in this market and women in this market that are of that caliber that just makes the Indianapolis market look uh, unique. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I agree. I mean, in, in Indianapolis, obviously where I live too. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm newer to the market. I've been, you know, maybe about four years, but, but been embraced and, and have some great mentors. And uh, I would tend to agree with you. There's a lot of good people here. So what, um, what book would you recommend uh, for, for everyone? I mean, is there, and again, this can be broader, it could be mindset, it could be, you know, could be real estate focused. Is there something that, that really impacted you? Uh, yeah, that's a great question. Well, I can tell you what I just downloaded for Audible. This is this is lawn mowing season, so my John Deere is warmed up and ready to go. And that's <laughs> my book reading takes place. It's uh, it's through my headset as I'm mowing the yard. So I just downloaded Five X, and mm-hmm. uh, sorry, just downloaded well two books actually. Sorry, I got that wrong. I just downloaded Ten X. And another book called Five Seconds. And I mentioned Five Seconds earlier. I haven't read the Five Seconds Rule, but I've got my own Five Seconds Rule, which I showed with you earlier about the amount of time that you have to make an impression on somebody. Yeah. Um, but the, the thesis on Five Seconds is um, once you have a conscious thought about something uh, forward thinking, some life change, some strategy you're going to embark on, you have five seconds to, to make a, a, a physical move, uh, even if it's insignificant in order to affect that change or start the process of affecting that change before your brain starts subconsciously squashing it. So I'm looking forward to reading that one. Um, mm-hmm. A book that I've just recently completed is called Wild at Heart. And uh, it's a phenomenal life change uh, book about, uh, you know, just to, to summarize it in, in five seconds about uh, living your, your best life, and what it means to, you know, to live a, you know, a life of, of freedom. And again, I'm a person of faith. It's a faith-based book. And uh, I'd recommend it to uh, to anybody who's trying to find a, a, a deeper purpose to their life. Oh, that's Radical. great. Yeah. That's Good great. Question. Yeah, that's fantastic. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> you may, and you may have already answered uh, my last one. I was going to ask, what, what's your number one key to success? Uh, and it, it could be five, that five-second rule. That's a, that's a great one. But you know, if you got something else, let me know. I think uh, I think number one key. I mean, there's so many, but how do you boil down to one? So this may not be my this may not be the the the, the absolute pinnacle. There are several that are probably go up there at the very top. But uh, you know, doing what you say you're going to do. And I'm in the service mm-hmm. business of clients who are 
wonderful who are loyal who come back to me for repeat transactions. Um, and I would like to think that one of the reasons they do that is because we, we do what we say we're going to do. And we put their interests before our own. And you know, as an operator like yourself, you do the same thing. You're taking capital from, from third parties that are unrelated to you. And you, you're entrust, you've been entrusted to go mm-hmm. actively and uh, use your best efforts to maximize returns. And same with me and my business. You know, we're, we're given some phenomenal opportunities to work on you know, large transactions, portfolio transactions, really exciting transactions. And they're not all large in portfolio, but regardless, we take each of those engagements very seriously. And if somebody's going to entrust an asset to me for uh, strategy development and disposition, then I'm going to treat it like it's my own. And I think if you go into that mindset, um, it's you, you don't have to say that you're doing that. It's just obvious when uh, you know my clients see yeah. Yeah. Doctors, the result. Yeah. No, I, th- I think that's fantastic. You can't say enough about just, I mean, it's so simple, right? But so impactful. So appreciate that. Well, Steve, thank you so much for being on today. I think you brought so much value to the group. Appreciate your perspective uh, from your long career and, and your unique approach. And um, yeah, I think uh, really, really appreciated the conversation today. You got a good view with you this afternoon. Thank you. Right, thank you. Thanks for listening to another great episode of Ritter on Real Estate. Hit the subscribe button to make sure you don't miss out on the content that will make you a better investor. Also, visit KentRitter.com for articles, videos, and tools curated just for passive investors. Until next time, this is Kent Ritter with Ritter on Real Estate. Now go out and invest like a pro.